weeks off. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure some people aren't aware that we start, did we not start, so I'll tell your friends that we started. I guess they'll find out from the internet and so on. Okay. So today's class is dedicated in memory of someone that us and our family held very dear. That's Rini Cohen, Aleha Shalom. Rina Badzakia. She passed away a few weeks ago. And is delicate. And the reason why we have a closeness to her is she's our consuegra. Um, her daughter, Elliot and Elaine Sarur, their son is married to my oldest daughter. So we were close to Grandma Rini, and she was a person that had a really a wonderful, wonderful demeanor at all times, through every situation, all circumstances. Kind of person who raised her children with love and care and loved little grandchildren jumping on her bed and great-grandchildren serving them cereal in the morning, early in the morning when most would get tired and exhausted and not in the mood. Her personality and her mindset and her mentality was really one that I know my own daughter and my grandchildren very, very much benefit from. So we miss her very much and we, you know, we love the Sarors, Elliot and Elaine. Thank you very much for dedicating today's class. And we're always very proud to be your consuegro. And we very much miss Grandma Rini. And we hope Hashem brings elevation to Hanishama, where her children and grandchildren are, is really the greatest elevation. Watching the Torah that's in that family and the path that all the grandchildren are on and the growth that they all, really every single one of them, have taken into their lives, as a lot has to do with her dignity, her class, her respect, her mentality, her values, and her love. So it's a tremendous honor for our words today to be dedicated in memory of someone who we so fondly call Grandma Rini. Okay, so I have a very simple question to open today. And I don't know if it's a question you ever ask yourself. I think partly when you speak at weddings and even sometimes at funerals, you ask yourself this question. You know how they'll tell you that person is a good person. She's a nice person. He's a good guy. What actually makes someone in the Torah's rules a good person? Because I feel like we could say it about everybody. Almost everybody, besides maybe the 1% of evil people, they're all good people. They're all good ladies. They're all good men. They're all good kids. They're all good families. Everybody's good. Is everybody good? You think everybody is good? Okay. I don't know if I agree. I oh, no, I don't know if I want to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I want to know what makes a good woman and what makes a good man in our Torah. How does our Torah view it? So, our parashah is parashah tirumah. If you look in the list of parashiyot in the Torah, top five hardest parashiyot to give a class on, tirumah is in the list. Okay? Because it talks about the vessels in the Mishkan, and I don't think you really want to hear a whole long class about the dimensions of the Shulchan, or the height of the Menorah, or the placement of the Mizbeach, the indoor one, the outside one, or even the dimensions, or the importance of the Aron. But, I think, from this parasha, from one of those vessels, there is a lot that we can learn. And that's the Aron. The Aron was clearly the holiest vessel. It was in the Kodesh HaKodashim. It was the Ark. 
It was put in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. It was seen once a year on Yom Kippur. The rest of the year, in the Beit HaMikdash times, no one would ever enter. Only the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur would go inside. And the Aron, you know how it's shaped. It had two sticks on the side. It was gold on the inside, gold on the outside. And it had two kiruvim, two like angel-like boy and girls figures on top of the Aron. And one of the facets, one of the characteristics of this Aron is going to help us understand what makes a good person. You say, what does the Aron have to do with a good person? Give us a minute and you'll see. The Aron I just told you had to be vitsipita otor zahav tahor mibayit umichus tisapenu. You cover the Aron with pure gold inside and out. So the pure gold was on the outside of the Aron, and then there would be like a wooden box, and then in that, there would be a golden box. So gold, wood, gold. Gold on the inside, and gold on the outside. Says Rashi, Rashi quotes a Gemara that has an important lesson from this gold. Amar Rabbah. Rabbah says, Kol tamid chacham. Any righteous person, learned person. She'en tocho kebaro. That is inside, is not like his outside, is not a is not really a righteous, learned person. What you're seeing here is that what defines a person is not your act, it's your inside and out. It's when the inside and the outside are synonymous. It's when the inside and the outside are both have and carry the same authenticity. Both the inside and out is gold. And the reality is that it's, this is very difficult to do. It's very difficult to be a truly authentic person. Everybody, almost everybody's good at a smile and a handshake, please and thank you. Almost everybody's good at saying good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Almost everybody's good at taking the change and saying thank you on a nice, wonderful, sunny day. But to be really that person, on the inside and out, that is a very, very difficult thing to achieve. So to be good means to be gold inside. It means that you're fully good. In all situations, you're good. You're really authentically good. There's a famous Gemara, Masechet Pesachim. The Gemara writes that there was a rabbi named Rabbi Yosef. And Rabbi Yosef would comment about the holiday of Shavuot. And he said, Ilav Hayyomah. If not for this day of Shavuot, Kama Yosef Ikabashuka. There's a lot of Yosefs in the marketplace. This is a very famous quote. That if not for this day of Shavuot, where I became a learned person, I would be a regular Joe. I'd be a regular Joe in the street. But because of this day of Shavuot, I'm not a regular Joe. I'm Rabbi Yosef. As she explains, what does that mean? What do you mean you're not regular? He says, Ilav Hayyomah. If not for this day of Shavuot, where we accepted the Torah, Shalamaditi Torah, and because of it I learned the tremendous Torah, Vinit Romamti. That's the key word. And I became elevated. That means I changed. It means I grew. It means I became gold, not just on the outside. Most people are gold on the outside. But I became even gold inside. And this is hard to do. And the reality is when you see someone who is supposedly religious and doesn't show and model that gold 
and you see someone who's a really religious person, but they're not reflecting that care and that character inside, nothing gets you more nervous. Nothing gets you more nervous than being cut off on a street by a Hasidic guy. Nothing. <laughs> That's the truth. Nothing gets you more nervous than seeing a woman who's very religious, who's online fighting with the cashier. It bothers you a lot. Because you want to see authentic. You want to see a person who's gold, fully, through and through. There's a Mishnah in Pekei Avot. It's a famous Mishnah also. The Mishnah says there are three crowns. Shilosha Ketarim Hem, there are three crowns. Keter Torah, the crown of Torah. Keter Kehuna, the crown of Kehuna, of priesthood, of being a Kohen. And Keter Malchut, and the crown of royalty. Three crowns. And then says the Mishnah, the Keter Shem Tov, the crown of a good name is above all three of those crowns. It's above the crown of Torah, Keuna, and Malchut. A good name is even above all that. And so the commentary says, really? A person studies Torah their whole life, you're telling me a good name just because some people like you? That's above the crown of Torah? That's very difficult to digest. But here's what it means. It means if through the other crowns, either Torah or Keunah or Malchut, if through that crown, the crown of Torah elevates you to also have a Shem Tov where you're really known as a strong, good person, now that's real royalty. If you have that kind of goodness with its full authenticity, through the Torah, it should change you. It should be minit romanti. It elevated me. It made me gold, not just on the niceties and the pleasantries and the normal things. It's about that I became different. So let me try and give you an example of what I mean where I saw the contrast. So this week in the community, last week was intercession. This week was airport week. This week was the week where people across the community where it found themselves with canceled flights and delayed flights and missing flights and changing flights and going to North Carolina, to Philly, to Atlanta, to Newark, whatever. There are some people that are still stuck. I was, we're supposed to feel bad for them. They're stuck in 80 degrees on the beach. And we're supposed to feel bad while we dig our car out of the black snow. But anyhow. So, on Sunday night, I was one of those people. I had a flight out of Florida. They were supposed to leave at 9.30. And I get to the airport, and they tell me it's 10.20. And the flight was with me. My wife and kids were coming the next day. It was me and five yeshiva boys, two of my sons and three of my nephews, okay? So I did very visibly yeshiva boys with the jackets and the white and the whole thing. So now if they tell us 9.30, then they say, no, it's going to be 10.20. Then they say, no, it's going to be 12.05. Then they say it's going to be 12.50. This is a.m. at this point. We're in the middle of the night. Then they tell me, no. Then they, by the time we left, it was 1.30 in the morning. And we landed at like 4 until the luggage came out and all that was a whole hassle. And then I had to take a yellow cab. I'm not sure why, but I took two yellow cabs with the boys and whatever. And then I sent the boys to Yeshiva from my house. I didn't get to bed till 6 a.m. Okay? Anyhow, when I got to the airport... I was confronted with two different Jewish people. First, I'll tell you the first guy. First guy was behind us on the line. I don't know him at all, him and his wife, but clearly Jewish religious people. And they're giving us this look the whole time. Like the whole, you know, uncomfortable, like why are you here? 
Then there's some lines, I think, called mosaic. Is there a mosaic line or something? I don't know, there's some kind of line, mosaic, I don't know, Jeff Blue, I don't know. And we were on the wrong line, I guess, I'm not sure. And then we got to the counter, of course, and I'm taking Yeshiva boys, and we're trying to stuff in the suitcases. Every suitcase costs extra money. It's like we're worn out, if you get what I'm saying. And now they said, no, you're 20 pounds overweight, so you have to change it for the suitcases. And now the boys open up the suitcases on the floor, and they're moving around the luggage, okay? And the guy behind them bends down with this ugly face and says, stay in Yeshiva. That's what he said. Jewish guy, religious guy. Says, stay in yeshiva. Like you're a complete loser. That's what he was clearly saying. I heard him right. We heard him right. It's very clear. That's what he said. And then... There was a community, Syrian community couple that was there that we know pretty well. Right when we got there, Rabbi, we have the hamajin. Do you want to have some hamajin? I have some food for you. We're going to give it to you. Then we saw them. Their flight was supposed to be at 6. And then it was supposed to 8. And then it was supposed to 9.30. And then we got to the gate. And they're like, we have the hamajin. Do you want more food? We can take care of you. We can give you the hamajin. Then we're on the line to go on the plane. By the way, airports make you feel so small. Like you're on, it's always, there's group A and B and you're always group Z. So anyhow, so I'm waiting and waiting. The guy comes over to me and he says, my flight was supposed to be at six, then to eight, then to 9.30, then to 10.30, then to 12, then to 12.50. And now one o'clock, the pilot came and he says he's not flying. And he just <laughs> left the plane and he's sitting over there at terminal, at the gate four, just sitting there, and they're not allowed to talk to him because he's a union. So I don't know if I'm even flying out of Florida. I was just in the airport for seven hours, and I'm, or six hours, and I'm not sure if I'm even leaving Florida tonight. But Rabbi, if you want Lahamajin, I'm coming And I said, that is gold inside and out. Because by that point, you're supposed to be tired, you're supposed to be mad, you're excused, you're with your wife and your kids, and you had a long trip. And you know, trips like this, as beautiful as they are, they work out weeks for daddies, and they're not used to it. You're supposed to, by this time, you're supposed to take the lahamajin and throw it at the pilot. You're not supposed to be offering it to me with that same purity and that gold. That's what gold looks like. That's what a good person looks like. Not just on the outside but it's authentic on the inside. You see five wonderful, innocent, beautiful yeshiva boys that maybe aren't used to the world fully yet. They will be when the time comes. There's a way to look down at them, and then there's a way to care about them. That's what tochol kebaro means. That's what it means, good inside and out. The pasuk in Iyov writes it this way. Lo yarchena. Nothing meets the value of Torah, even zahav uzhuchit, even gold and glass. Now I understand the comparison of Torah to gold. We're talking about gold, how it's pure inside and out. But why are you comparing the Torah, the value of Torah, why are you comparing it to glass? And so what the Midrash comments on this pasuk is this is that if you have a cup of glass, a cup that's glass, if you put oil inside, you can see it. 
If you put wine inside, you can see it. If you put milk inside, you could see it. If you put honey inside, you can see it. You can see the orange, you can see the purple, you can see the white, you can see the whatever, yellow. You could see the colors through, through the glass because it's clear. If you're a person of Torah, I should be able to see through you like glass. I should be able to see your authenticity and your realness and your goodness through and through. And I said, I think this is very hard to do because most people spend a lot of their time on a facade. By the way, do you realize that if you look out in the world, like nobody's dressed normal anymore. No one looks normal. No one, every person has a tattoo or a piercing or both or a haircut that's crazy or some combination of all the three with crazy clothing. Have you noticed this? Because they're all putting on something. They're all trying to create some image that in their head they think is what the world wants to see, some, some persona, some narrative about themselves that they're trying to create that's not real. Sadly, without the tattoos and without the piercings and without the clothing, and without the, the haircuts, many people in our community are doing the same thing. We're trying to put on a whole facade. And if there ever is a season that we try to put on that facade, it's when, during winter vacation. Everyone, I asked the kid yesterday, I said, how was it he was home? How was it being home? I said, it's just, I said, he's probably fine. He says, why? I said, it's just annoying hearing everybody talk about it. He says, yeah, and the pictures. Because the pictures are reflecting something that's not real. It's smile. And when you said you saw any pictures of people in Florida having a great time, it was 20 degrees. They weren't having a great time. <laughs> but if it's authentic, if it's authentic, I'm comfortable with hearing your authentic time. But I don't usually hear your authentic time. I hear the narrative that you want to create about the time you have. You either want to tell me how great it was, or how terrible it was, you want to put on a shut, and that gets people nervous. Because again, you're trying to put on a facade. Be a real person. Why are we so afraid to be a real person? Be a real person. Be honest, be true, be real, be kind even when it's difficult. Be real. Reflect what you're really feeling. The, you know, they say pictures are word, worth a thousand words. Sometimes it's worth a thousand fake words. Because sometimes a picture is not really reflecting what's really happening. Be a real person. To hug about all means that we're real. And I feel like we're having a harder and harder time to be real because we want to look like we're successful and we succeed and we're wealthy and we look at our house and our car and our kids and we're putting on this facade no, no, a real good person is someone who's real. Yeah, I'm smiling, I'm not feeling great today, I'm not doing so great today, but I'm smiling anyhow. That's real. That's authentic. How many people do you know are willing to be vulnerable? Willing to be honest? This, well, yes, I, I didn't do great on that. It didn't go so well. I'm struggling with this. Not a whole cryathon, sandathon, pity party, but authentic. I failed at that. It didn't go so well. I'm not sure if I was right. I may have been wrong. So few people are willing to do that because they're so busy with this facade, with this picture, with this social media, with this, with this, the words, with the clothing, with the look that looks great, that I'm part of the scene, I look like I'm in the scene, I'm invited to the scene, I went to the scene, I look like I'm... That whole game is losing sight. You want to know what a good person is? A good person is gold on the inside. 
A good person is authentic. A good person has goodness that is worked on, not that they just know how to do the pleasantries, not they know how to fake you. Good person is a person who's mamti. I became elevated. I became changed. I became authentic. I became like glass that you could see inside and out. There's one rabbi who once said that there are two terms for people who learn Torah. One is someone who's a lomet Torah, he learns Torah. Another one is the real term that's used for someone who really studies a lot, is a ben Torah. What's the difference between a lomet Torah, someone who studies Torah, and someone who's a ben Torah, who's the son of Torah? What does that mean to be the son of Torah? It's just, it's a funny phrase. The answer is lomet Torah means it's something I do. I learn Torah. I may learn for an hour. I may learn for two. I may learn for five. I may learn for 12. I may learn for 14. It's something that I do. I'm Lomet Torah. Ben Torah is something that I am. I am now the son of Torah, which means wherever I go, Torah is my father. Torah is my guide. Torah is my gold. Torah is my authenticity. Torah is the thing that elevates me, and you could see it everywhere. So in the last two days, there's been a story that has taken over the news. And someone here showed it to me before, but I, I really obviously saw about it over the last, um, last night and today. And that is someone on this show called The View made a clearly anti-Semitic comment. And I am thankful. What? The next thing that I told I'm not going into all the details of that. But... Clearly anti-Semitic comment, and the world was in an uproar. And it's funny how anti-Semitism goes, that it's often very subtle. In other words, if you don't know anything about anti-Semitism and never saw it before, you wouldn't even think that that was anti-Semitic. It's just a healthy conversation. But the reality is that that's how anti-Semitism is. If you say the Holocaust, only 5.9 million people died and not six, that's already anti-Semitic. Because you're already diluting in a small way what happened to our people. So by saying that we're not a race, in a way of diluting it. Just this morning, I opened up an email that gets the news, and sometimes it has things like a cookie. It says, oh, she kind of followed up in some night late show or something. I said, okay, let me see what she followed up. And she basically semi-apologized, but more of it explained herself. And said, here's the difference. Here's why I don't think. Everybody knows what I'm talking about or no? Some people do? Okay, there's this woman, her name is Whoopi Goldberg, and she's on this show called The View that everybody knows about. And she made this comment that the Jews in the Holocaust wasn't, Holocaust wasn't racism because the Jews aren't really a race because they're white anyhow. Because they're also white, just like everybody else is white. It's a ridiculous comment and inappropriate comment, and one that the media is all over, and she's been suspended for two weeks already, and we'll see what happens. So, I gave you the full story, good. Now she gets on this late show, and she says something to try to explain herself that I kind of took as a little message that our people need to learn. She says, you know why the Jews aren't a race? She says, because they look just like us. You go on the street, they're white, they're white, a Jew and a non-Jew, they look the same. The Nazis had to like discover who was Jewish, who was not. A Jew and a regular white person, they both look exactly the same. 
And she kept saying it, therefore it's not a race. Obviously, again, it's a ridiculous comment. She says something is totally wrong. I'm not, it's not my business to get into it in that detail, but it's obviously anti-Semitic and inappropriate, whether it's ignorance or on purpose, I don't know, it's not my business. Let ABC News take care of it. But she kept saying it. We don't look any different. You can't tell us on the street. I'm insulted by that. I want to look different. I want you to be able to tell me on the street. And not just because I have a kippah on my head. I want you to know because I want to walk around Vinitro Mamti. I want you to see the gold. I want you to be able to see like glass inside. I want you to see someone who's authentically good, who's worked on, whose Torah changed him. Who is a person who lives a life of Torah and Yerat Shemaim and Torah changed her. I want you to say, oh, that person is clearly Jewish. Because that person is a Ben Torah, a Ba'i Yisrael. You know what a Ba'i Yisrael means? She's a daughter of the Jewish people always, wherever you see her. That's what I want to be. I want to be as noticed as a difference in skin color. I want to be that noticed. Not because I'm better, not because I think I should look down at anybody else. Hasu Shalom, I don't think that way. But because I want to look worked on. I want to look grown. I don't want to look regular. I want to look like a Ben Torah. I want to look like you can see an authentic, real, good person even after six hours in the airport. Or even if the extreme challenges in your life, I want to see someone who really is good. That's what I want to be. I want to be noticed. Not famously noticed. I want to be noticed because as a Ben Torah is noticed. So that comment besides the anti-Semitism, it should have been a personal insult to every good Jew. Because every good Jew should say when I'm walking on the street, I don't want the person next to me to look just like me. I don't want my name just to be the difference. I don't even just want what's on my head to be the difference. I want everything about my mannerism to be different. I want to reflect a goodness to my core. So what's about those people that are very religious? And I'm not talking about people that are very religious and aren't nice. That's wrong. But how about people that are very religious but aren't as worldly as me and you? I don't know, me, I'm, maybe I'm not so worldly either, but not so worldly like everybody else. Like those yeshiva boys, my sons and my nephews, that are clearly not fully understanding the whole surrounding and weren't in an airport three times a year every year. So I want to give a comment, and then we'll wrap this theme up. I want to give a comment that I read that I think is a beautiful idea that a great rabbi said about the briskarab when he passed away 50, 60 years ago. He says, the pasuk says that in the Aaron, v'natata el ha'aron et ha'edut. You put in the Aaron, inside of this box, gold, wood gold, inside of this empty box, you put the edut. What does edut mean? So Rashi on the Pasuk, in this week's parasha comments, ha-torahi le-edut beni u-benechem. The Torah is edut, is testimony between the relationship between us and Hashem. The Torah is edut. The Torah is that testimony. So the Torah that lies in that Aaron is the testimony of the bond between the Jewish people and Hashem. So this person asked a beautiful question. Testimony is usually public, outside, testifying, testimony. How is the Torah that's locked away in a box, 
in the inner chamber of the Kodesh HaKodeshim, in the most secret place on the planet Earth. The only place on the planet that 364 days in the year, no one's allowed to go inside. And even on the day you go inside, you don't really go into the Aron. So this is locked in a box, never to be seen. How is that a testimony? How is that a dut? So he answers the question based on the Midrash. And the Midrash says like this, and I think this way you'll appreciate some of those people. He says, the Midrash writes that our Torah always remains authentic. You know why it always remains authentic? Every word is authentic, never changed. Because there's a Torah in a box. Because there's a Torah in a box, I know I can't fool around. Because there's a Torah that's untouched untampered, unfooled around with, and no one could do anything to, that lies there with its full authenticity. So I know there's a Torah there. That Torah scares me. Because if every Torah was out there, we could all fool around with everyone. But there's one that's locked up. There's one that no one can touch and no one can change. The fact that I know that somewhere on the planet, there's a Torah that's unchanged in any way, that makes me make sure that my Torah reflects that Torah. Because I know if I change this, there's a Torah somewhere that's going to prove, that's going to be a dude that I'm wrong. If every Torah was out, then every Torah could be changed. You change yours, you change yours, I change mine, he changes his, she changes hers. But if I know there's one that's fully real, I know it's there, that becomes the strongest testimony. This rabbi said the Biskarav was like the Torah and the Aron. You need some rabbis that are in hiding, so to speak. Some rabbis that are untampered with. You see, rabbis like me that talk to people, we give you filtered Torah. I can't say everything. I can't say a harsh thing. I can't say the punishment for something. I can't say, God forbid, what happens to somebody or, or difference between good and bad and how bad bad is and how good good is and punishment and rating. I can't do those things because the masses can't appreciate that. So I'm going to give you the Dvar Torah that you appreciate, that you can understand, that you can digest, that you can take home and say, wow, that was a nice and wonderful thought. Right? When I told you the thing of the glass, you said, wow, that's beautiful. I can tell you thoughts like that. I can't tell you thoughts that are harsh because no one wants to hear them. Not you, not me. No one wants to hear them. But I need to know that there are some yeshiva students and some rabbis that are locked in a box and they're not tampered with. And they have it with its full authenticity. And maybe they don't know exactly how to walk through an airport. They were great. But maybe they make a mistake here and there. They don't exactly know how. Maybe. And maybe they can't make a speech to the world. Maybe they can't. But they keep their authenticity. So the next time you see a real Ben Torah and you say, but I wish this person was more acclimated to the world. No, you don't. You wish that there were people out there that are fully, fully authentic that don't give me filtered stuff, that know it at its core, what the Torah says and differentiation, and this is right and this is wrong and how bad and what's really wrong. Not, yeah, it's good, I'm happy you're trying. Those are wonderful things for pulpit rabbis to say. But that's, those are not the things that the edut in the Aron says. So, as a Jew, we appreciate those kinds of people. Rechaim Kanievsky is one of those kinds of people. I doubt if Chaim Kanievsky knows the name of the Vice President of the United States of America. I hardly doubt it. But he doesn't have to. He's the edut. 
You want to you know his schedule? It's a famous schedule that he has. He learns every day for many, many hours from early in the morning to late at night. He spends a few, a few couple hours telling, giving berachot to people, but the rest of the day is learning. And he has things that he does. That means he finishes the whole shas every year. He finishes the whole tour shulchan aruch and all the poskim every year and all the commentaries on the chumash every year. So he has a system out of the whole 12 months of the Jewish calendar that he finishes the whole Torah, Kola Torah Kulan, he makes a siyum on Erev Pesach, on the whole Torah. It's a ridiculous thing. And he calls his Chobot his obligation. And he doesn't deviate. So what does he do on a year like today, where it's Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph, which is an extra month? He writes a book. Oh. <laughs> yes, that's what he does. Because he has an extra month. People kill time, even kill time. He writes a Sefer that'll come out soon that he wrote because he has an extra month because every day is calculated perfectly. Most people can't do that. Most rabbis even can't do that. Most even great rabbis that you know can't do that because they are busy being with the people. But it's nice to know that there's a Torah in the Aron someplace. It's nice to know from the small yeshiva boy to great rabbis that they're there. But at the same time, all of us need to be gold inside. All of us need to have that purity. All of us need to be that glass. I want to tell you one wonderful story to conclude. And this is a story about a rabbi that I heard from a different rabbi named um, Gershon, Rabbi Gershon Ribner. This is a rabbi from Lakewood who has questions and answers that are very enjoyable, at least for like other rabbis. So listen to him, yeshiva students, it's very enjoyable. I'm not sure I agree with every question and answer that he has, but it's entertaining on a Torah level. And he shared this story. You heard of Rabbi Steinman, Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman, passed away a few years ago. Rabbi Steinman is one of the great Gedolim. When he was a boy and single, he had a lot of chumrot, a lot of strictnesses. One of his chumrot was that he wouldn't drink any water from the sink on Pesach. That means any water that was going to go into his system on Pesach needed to be bottled before. Which means you save all the water in bottles and then you use it for cooking and eating and drinking over the course of the holiday. He gets married and he tells his wife, this is a chumrah I'd like to try and do. It's a chumrah I've been doing for years. It's like a brisk chumrah. They say, and I'm going to try. Can you please put all the water in bottles before the holiday so that we could use it for the, prepare for the entire eight days so that I can use it pre-bottled? She says, yes, no problem. Now it's the seder night. Everything's repaired. The first year they're married. They're having the seder. And he says, can you give me some water from the bottle? She says, oops. I'm so sorry. I forgot. I feel so bad. I forgot. She said, don't worry about it. She said, no, I really feel bad. She said, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's just a chumrah. Just give me a cup of water from the sink. It's fine. She really feels bad. But with the whole holiday, he drinks from the sink, no problem. The next year, he drinks from the sink again. Because he says, I don't want to remind my wife of the pain she was in last year by forgetting. So I'm going to drink from the sink this holiday again. The next year, he drank from the sink again. Because he didn't want to even two years later remind her of the pain of that when they first got married. 65 years of marriage, a chumrah that he held of, he never did. To never remind his wife of the pain of the first year. After 65 years, she passed away. The next Pesach, he tells his children, 
guys, can you put the bottled water? He said, Queen, Abba, like, what, you're starting a Chumrah at 98? What are we doing? He said, no, 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 I really had this the whole time. I just never wanted to do it because I never wanted to remind your mother of the pain she had on that first seat. How crazy is that story? How great is that? Because I'm just thinking about if it was me. If it was me, the next Pesach, there would be Poland spring bottles on the counter. Honey, reminder, don't forget this time. And I still love you. That's what I would do. To, to not do it 65 years, but still hold on to it when he's in his 90s and she passes away because he still holds of it but doesn't want to do it. That's what gold looks like. That's what it means to be like glass. The Aaron in the Kodesh HaKodashim that was almost never seen by the human eye reflects what we need to be more than any vessel on the planet. Because that vessel is what every really good person is. That vessel and you and I hope to be gold inside and out. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend.